Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast, brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Costa Sunglasses, Turtle Box Audio, Florida Fishing Products, and Orvis Fly Fishing. As we come off Memorial Day and we're approaching July 4th, I wanted to have a conversation with Scott Brown of Push It Good Inshore. Scott is a guide in Green Beret that works as a combat dive instructor in the Florida Keys. In this podcast, we dive into Scott's history in the outdoors, his military career, and how he's working through Brave Water Outfitters and Valiant Traditions to help more vets get on the water and to connect with the outdoors. We also discuss how he's applied lessons learned in service to the water and chat about his philosophy of finding balance at home and raising kids in the outdoors. We hope that you enjoy. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you, you know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And then it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is, is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you're just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? That's look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. One, two, three. Ooh, crispy. <laughs> and get some of this spray real quick for the bugs. Dude, that spray is on point. Typically, the... <laughs> oh, let me get your uh, microphone. Yeah, seriously. The mosquitoes here will fly <laughs> off with you. I'm, I'm actually surprised that the no seams aren't aren't out here. This is Deet Free, by the way. This is good shit right Brought here. Brought to you by Deet Free. <laughs> <laughs> I know a kid that actually fell asleep... Uh, on patrol, he had covered himself with like a hundred percent DEET spray, <laughs> fell asleep. Uh, he was like in a machine gunner position and uh, one of the cadre came over, kicked him, woke him up and he was like, man, my, my arms hurt. And like the cadre is like yelling at him and stuff. And he, he stands up and cadre turns on his headlamp and this kid had boils in the creases of his arms where he had sprayed this deet and had and had laid there for probably like like over an hour in the same position got up and he had like boils but anyways yeah deet deet's no good man you gotta stick to this natural stuff well thanks for uh taking me to square grouper now we're hanging out having some nice all hand vodka sodas and hanging out on this uh nice little porch here and good food good company you can't beat that well, I'm excited. Just me and you have talked a lot the last three years, mostly about family stuff, which we'll get into a little bit about our philosophies behind, you know, kind of trying to raise kids in the outdoors and why that's so important to us as a value. Uh, but before we kind of dive into to some of that, I'd love for people just to get a chance to hear a little bit about your history and how you kind of came in contact with the outdoors, what your upbringing was like, and, and really kind of how that led you through uh, from going from special forces to guide 
in all the things above. Yeah, it's been, uh, I feel like it was just yesterday. It's been over, man, it's been over 12 years since I started that whole endeavor in special operations. And uh, it, it's been a, a long, wild ride. And uh, I'm, I'm hanging up the hat um, because I realize that it, it takes a lot of time out of somebody in terms of uh, what I shouldn't say. It takes a lot of time out. It, trying to find the balance of time between serving and and serving for the man on your left and right and dedicating the time to raising a a family. Um, it's a hard balance to find in in the position that I'm in, and so I've made the decision to to hang that hat up and and focus on being a dad more mm-hmm. more than a than a a team guy you know what i mean mm-hmm. so uh, at the end of the day um this is a good message for anybody that's in the service still active duty is is those those people on your left and right they'll they'll always be there for you you know but and you and you treat those guys while you're in austere environments to the best that you can treat them and look out for them but at the end of the day you need to be treating your family to i mean you need to be treating those people to a way higher standard because they're always going to be there for mm-hmm. you if if you're there for them and it's a hard like I said it's a hard life to balance so again it's been a long ride but before before all of that uh I was just a just a young kid uh growing up hunting and fishing my dad he uh he grew up in the Bronx in New York City mm-hmm. and uh there's not a lot of <laughs> places to, to fish there. Pretty rough, pretty rough life growing up for him. And uh, later on in his life, his parents relocated to Peekskill uh, over on one of a, one of the creeks that connected to the Hudson Hudson River, I believe. And that's where he took up uh, fly fishing and and fishing for striped bass and trout. And <clears throat> basically, he took that and passed it to me um, and my sister. Growing up, we grew up on a lake uh bass fishing and that turned into tournament bass fishing and then that evolved into coming down to the florida keys at a young age and he would work his ass off all year long to do a one month long vacation down here in the keys and we did that since i was eight years old uh, Mm. all diy um never never hired a guide uh, we didn't we didn't have the money honestly mm-hmm. and um yeah we just we just focused on doing everything together as a family you know mm-hmm. and um it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't like any type of like how do you want to say like professional angling experience it yeah. was figure it out as you go and uh, i pretty much sank all my free time into figuring it out as i as i went and uh, later on in life, um, yeah, I just became a, a fishing guide in, in the what, middle of my Army career. What drove your dad to go from the Bronx to North Carolina, where, where you spent most of your life? So what, it was his parents. They wanted to get out of the, the concrete jungle and get their kids into to an outdoor setting because they knew it was mm. kind of a— I don't know. I guess it's a rough setting, you know what I mean? And then from there, my dad left. Uh, I think he was 19 or 20 years old. He left from uh, Peekskill and then uh, hightailed it all the way to California, hmm. where they lived for a while. Uh, my dad, 
he worked for a machining company for uh, basically he built spaceship parts mm. and uh, that industry kind of went uh, tanked in mm. the in the the 1980s and I think I was four and then from California we moved to North Carolina in the middle of nowhere and uh, yeah country living was was pretty much the name of that game so that's how that transpired but uh, yeah his his parents realized early on that hey we need to get out of here and get our kids into a, a better environment and, and you've talked to me a lot about how he's supported you at a young age in in trying to be connected to nature what did that look like as a kid um my dad never forced me to go fishing uh but the opportunity was always there and it, from what I remember, I've got a horrible memory now, but from what I remember, uh, he would go and I naturally would, would go and trail, but, um, I I just wanted to do everything that he wanted to do. I, Mm -hmm. I looked up to him. He's always been my hero. Uh, I didn't really have any heroes outside of him just because I, I I thought the world of him, you know, Mm -hmm. I still do. Uh, One of my biggest wishes right now is I wish I had more time to take him fishing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's, that's something I don't really get to do anymore just because of my schedule and, and how far we, we live apart from each other. But yeah, he sank a lot of time, uh, mentorship and development in, in getting me just outside. Mm -hmm. You know, most of our, our fun activities were, were outside. And um, whether that was freshwater fishing, uh, inshore fishing, fly fishing, offshore fishing, we have a huge offshore fishing background as well. Um, that's something that he loved to do. Um, I kind of swayed more towards the inshore fishing side because it's more affordable. <laughs> but <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't have the money to be able to fill up a, a 300-gallon fuel tank. But, yeah, it's... Um, he put a lot of time and effort and made sure that we, we grew up outside. And I feel like that's kind of a common theme amongst our generation mm-hmm. um, is this was before the surge of social media and before the, the hands, like the, the iPhone or the smart device mm-hmm. uh, or the hands-free devices. So I feel like that is kind of a common theme. Yeah, and I think a lot of the, the technology that kids I, – I remember being a kid and I was – lower middle class for a lot of my childhood um and i was always a couple game boys behind everybody yeah me so too. i yeah. always like they would always be like you want to borrow my game yeah. i was like i oh, can't yeah. play it you know because that was yeah. one of the smartest things nintendo ever did was like <laughs> you had to have the up-to-date one like the new ones could yeah. play the old ones but the old ones couldn't play the new ones you I, know i definitely played video games uh i did not sit there until 3 a.m with like a liter of like like Mountain Dew no, and no. play video games. You couldn't do that with the old no, Game Boy. I had the old not. Game Boy. I mean, you maybe could on a car ride. You, might, you yeah. might be able to put an hour or two on that yeah. thing, but it would get pretty frustrating. I definitely had some natty lights playing Halo in college. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> but again, I still still got outside and worked out and did uh, did everything that I wanted to do out there. But but yeah, there's nothing wrong with video games. Every, everything in moderation. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. anti-technology. You know, but there needs to be a moderator. Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about that earlier. Um, like I, I don't, I don't frown upon parents that have iPads or tablets and they give their kids because there's a lot of good that can come out of that as far as like learning software on there. Like my kids do sight words and stuff on their tablets, mm-hmm. but my kids aren't on there watching youtube and Mm -hmm. we're all like Lindsay and i are are definitely 
moderators, and we, mm. we ensure that time spent on those is minimal, and the time that they do spend on that is is for learning. So um, I, I do kind of look down upon the the parents that try to escape the screaming child. They just hand them an iPad at dinner, yeah. and I'm just like, man, like nothing good's gonna come out of that. There's no there's no development there. Yeah, it's a, it's it's, it's become a button. digital pacifier. It is. It know? really yeah. has. And those um, kids turn into zombies. I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times where you go to dinner. And you got a like family of six that walk in, and everyone's on a goddamn phone. You're like, what? What? What are y'all doing right now? Yeah, that's not a family. Yeah, you know. But anyways, I'm a huge hypocrite, so <laughs> I'm sure I, I'm my kid's only six, and I've got a three year old, and I'm sure I'm gonna hit that mental breakdown to where I'm just like, ah, give it, give it to him. Yeah, I won't, but <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, but maybe. <laughs> yeah. So so talk talk to me about um, how you ended up making the decision to join the military and kind of what that season of life has looked like for you. So if we were to go back in time, uh, to when I was a senior in high school and you were like, Hey Scott, you're going to be a green beret one day. I probably would have laughed at you. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought the military was for people that couldn't hack it in the regular world. Um, that was the perception that I had. Um, I was very ignorant as, as a kid Mm -hmm. and, the community that I grew up in is very, very special operations heavy in North Carolina. And I definitely was influenced. I saw a lot of my friend's dads die. Um, I I saw a lot of loss of life. Uh, I was in eighth grade when the twin towers fell. Um, so I had all of this in the back of my mind that I haven't really, I wasn't mature enough to process any of that. You know, like I saw a lot of American flags being draped over roads, uh, a lot of celebration of, of life of these warriors. And, uh, and I, I didn't process that until I was about 22, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, I literally woke up one day and felt this need to, to, serve in a in the capacity of of something you know and I went and I uh told my mom and my dad I walked into their room one night when they were reading and I was like hey guys um I'm no longer gonna pursue a pharmaceutical degree I was a junior in college and uh I was like I'm gonna drop out of college and go become a green beret Mm. (laughs) and uh they, a little bit of a shift from pharmaceutical yeah, sales. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. And um, they looked at me and they, I quote my mom, are you on drugs? And I was like, no, I feel like this has never been clearer of a path for me than anything else. And of course, I had talked to many people. I had a lot of mentors outside of like my dad who were like very strong male mentors who were operators. Mm-hmm. And, um, it kind of, you kind of romanticize that stuff, you know, like seeing these big barrel chested freedom fighters, big old beards going out and, uh, doing great things for our country overseas. So anyways, um, outside of that, I eventually, um, went enlisted, uh, went to obviously basic training. So I went from a civilian to straight to special forces. I'm what's called an 18 X-ray, and it's a program for people that just want to go straight to special forces and not do anything else in the mm-hmm. military. As far as like regular military experience, um, there's a bunch of pros and cons to that. Uh, I was very young. I was 22, I believe, when mm-hmm. I did that, and um, 
all I knew is I wanted to be outside and I wanted to be doing something as far as fulfillment and job satisfaction was concerned, mm. you know? And so, uh, I thought about being a seal, but then everyone talked me out of that. They were like, ah, oh, they're a little pre Madonna, you know, like <laughs> go be a grand beret. So anyways, I, uh, completed that, you know, it took me two years to get through the special forces Q course. Uh, I eventually went to seventh group special forces and did multiple deployments all over the world. Uh, a lot of stuff in South America, Afghanistan, and, uh, that, um, that evolved, you know, into, uh, a lot of time away from my wife and eventually my family. And, uh, I needed a, needed a break. A lot of people don't understand, uh, just because you're not deployed doesn't necessarily mean that you are like home, home, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're still doing these pre-mission training cycles, like red cycle taskings and all this other stuff. So you're not really home. And then mentally you are, you have lived such a high speed lifestyle and you're constantly under this like grind of mm -hmm. performance. You know, you got to stay physically fit. You got to stay on your game. You, you have to be that, you got to have that team guy mentality. It's hard to turn that off, man. It's, it's a really tough, people have a, have a really tough time mm -hmm. just mellowing out and chilling out. And, um, that's kind of when I was, I looked at myself and I was like, man, you know, like I've, I've spent eight years kind of not neglecting my, my wife or family, but I just wasn't present. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I started to notice that anyways. Um, I served in in multiple capacities outside of a team as well, so I kind of got like a full mm -hmm. full circle of what is involved, like how the machine works in, in special operations. And um, at that time, I had interviewed for um, a different organization, and ultimately, um, they were just like, "Come back, you're you're a little young." So I went back a second time about two years later and they were just like, we're just, there's just nowhere for you in this organization at this time. And so that's when I said to myself, all right, let's take a quick pause, reassess. What are we doing right now? You know what I mean? And um, I had to choose my path, uh, what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to stay at my respective group or or if I wanted to work in a different position somewhere else in some organization. And mm -hmm. I chose um, to move down to Key West, Florida to be a combat dive school instructor. Um, I, I chose that because I, I thought and I still think that that's like the last, it's like the last group of, of real grit still in the military. Um, I hate to say it, but like standards have kind of, kind of fallen off you know due to just not that many people enlisting um, the combat dive community um, the, those standards have not changed you know and the people that work there pride themselves with qu uh, quality over quantity you know and it, it's great people over there that I work with and I wouldn't want to be around any type of other person I will always cherish and believe in quality over quantity you mm -hmm. know I, I would rather serve with quality people than a lot of people you know mm -hmm. but anyways that's this is all relevant due to uh, the other side of this um i kind of once you're removed from a team you kind of have like this loss in identity you know mm -hmm. you you feel like you're missing something um and i needed something to to fill that um if 
you are an operator, if you're a Green Beret specifically, you're you're a force multiplier. You mm-hmm. you deploy to other nations to build up their their force capacity. So mm-hmm. you basically go teach a bunch of indige how to be a lethal fighting force against whether whatever dictatorship or insurgency that they have occupying their country. So you you need to try to find hobbies or activities i believe to to fill that void Mm -hmm. you know again high speed lifestyle um you're you're always hunting something you know Mm -hmm. and i found that that fishing guide has always been a great way to fill that void um before being a force multiplier or before being a fishing guide i was a martial arts instructor um from the age I think of 16 all the way to 21 is when I stopped right before I enlisted Mm -hmm. in the military. And uh, my mom owned a martial arts school and we had over 300 students. And with that being said, I had to mature quickly to, Mm -hmm. to be that role model for, for young kids, you know? And so with that being said, I had a lot of um, mentorship development experience Mm -hmm. with not just kids, but adults, teenagers, and also kids with disabilities, autism, and uh, things of that nature. So <clears throat> with that being said, there was a background for that already that had been instilled in me, and it flowed naturally into being a green brand and into fishing guide. And so fishing guide was more of a therapeutic ways of me to find identity and mm-hmm. to fill that void whenever I was removed from a team. So if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if I conveyed that. Uh. <laughs> well, no, no, it does make sense. And I mean, that's something that, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations about over the years is just kind of your desire to also build something that you perceive to be meaningful um, Absolutely. and not just, Hey, I like the fish, but, how can I make money doing this? And so now you're kind of in a season of life where you're starting to transition out of military background and into a new business, you know, venture. I'm kind of curious for you, like the the two parts of this question. The first is you talked about, you wanted to be outside. So part of what you want, why you were drawn to the military was this idea of kind of being outside a lot, not being under fluorescent lights and sitting in a desk somewhere and selling pharmaceuticals or whatever. I know pharmaceutical salesmen travel around, but um, whatever. You know, you don't want to be. do a lot better than us, too. <laughs> <laughs> as far as Before months. I get corrected, but you didn't want to just sit at a desk, right? So oh, you absolutely. wanted to go out, you wanted yeah. to be active, you wanted to be outside. I'm curious two things. One, in what ways did your connection to the outdoors influence how you went through the military? And then in what ways did your experience with the military now influence how you connect with the outdoors? So I'm trying to process what you just said to me. (laughs) All right. So essentially, um, since I I had a history in the outdoors as a young kid, I felt that it would be a smooth transition into being what I perceived a a team guy would be. You know, you kind of have this like picture in your mind of like a – a guy with a big old rucksack on, compass in his hand, map, yeah. rifle, navigating through the woods, like like trained to live off nature's land type of thing, you know. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I thought that I would flow into that naturally, and I thought that there would be like-minded individuals that also 
grew up the same way that I did. Ironically, that was not the case at all. Uh, I had a very hard time finding other team guys that enjoyed hunting and fishing. Uh, just they come from all walks of life, yeah. you know, and all, all over the United States. And, and let's face it, like hunting, that's, that's like on the decline now, you know, mm-hmm. from what I, from what I read as far as statistics. So like, it, depending on where you're from, not everybody hunts and fishes, basically what I'm saying. So yeah. I, I thought that it would transition nicely into that. And I felt secure and confident in my mm-hmm. upbringing as far as going into that field. Uh, I'll tell you what it does for me now is it, it, like I said before, it safeguards me mentally, you know, it, Mm -hmm. I always tell people, how about this? I tell people this all the time and I tell other people in the service, I never identified as a green beret. That is not who I am. That was a job. It is, it is a job of mine. I identify as an outdoorsman, you Mm -hmm. know, and I'll, and I always will. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm an avid hunter, avid, obviously avid angler. Um, but I, I don't see myself as like living and dying like Green Beret. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's, I feel like that's just not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, we, we always say special forces is, is, it's like a mistress. She's always going to leave you for a younger, stronger man eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you don't have something else outside of that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. You know, and I see a lot of my friends um, struggling with that right now. Like our op tempo is pretty much, non-existent now we're not we're not going to do these kinetic missions like we were in afghanistan like the that whole conflict is pretty much it's it's not over but it's we're not doing it to the capacity that we were doing it in and so Mm -hmm. a lot of guys are are struggling with that like a lot of people don't know war is addicting you know and um guys that are removed from that lifestyle if that's all they've known they they struggle really bad in mm-hmm. in the civilian world if they don't have something so for me that that's that's fishing guide um, mm-hmm. so that's it's more of like a uh, um, kind of like a safety for me and, and for others um, I also have friends that have gone through something very similar mm-hmm. so uh, does that answer your question no no it does and I definitely want to talk about some of how you're kind of gearing your life to trying to help others mm-hmm. who are in a similar place but before that, um, you know, one of the things too, just in thinking about, like, I, I had an interesting conversation with you about a year ago about animals and, and being an outdoorsman, whether you're hunting, whether you're fishing and how a lot of the behavior of animals matches the strategy of man. And even as we're sitting here and we're saying this, I'm looking at these geckos oh, on the yeah. fence behind oh, they're you hunting right now. and they're hunting oh, yeah. and they're, they're using a light source to get yep. food and they're using crevices in your fence to, yep, to hide themselves, to hide themselves. Right. <laughs> and I had an interesting conversation with you where we talked about how a lot of what you learned about military strategy is actually learned from animal behavior. And I thought that was really interesting. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah. I don't know if it's animal behavior, but I can, and I'm definitely not one to talk on military strategy. Uh, I'm, I'm like, like tactical level. Like I'm not, I'm not in the strategy level, but or strategic, strategic level, but, um, strategicery. I, yeah, strategicery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can tell you this from, from what I remember, um, I feel like a lot of like our unconventional techniques were learned from, from like, uh, like native people, like native Americans, mm-hmm. you know, and native Americans always mimicked like some of the animals, like wolves and stuff like that. If you mm-hmm. ever watch like a, like a deer or like a wolf, uh, move across a, like a ridge line, and I may be totally wrong on this, but when I watch white-tailed deer move across a ridge, I never ever see them silhouette themselves up at the highest point. Mm-hmm. You never silhouette yourself at the highest point. 
You know what I mean? Hopefully. It, it gives a clear silhouette to <laughs> to the people looking for you or to the, to the game yeah. that you're pursuing. So, I mean, I can elaborate. I'm pretty sure that a lot of what what we've learned over the years is is all based off what what native people um, kind of mimic from the animals. I might have totally totally made that up, but it sounds cool to me. It sounds so. cool to me. That's why I brought it up. You know, now you're like backing down from the theory because you don't want you don't want somebody on the internet. To oh, go, dude, there's gonna know. be some type of of internet warrior that's gonna start charging. Like, oh, that dude, stolen valor. That dude doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'll be the first one to admit, but. Yeah, I think that's where that comes from, honestly. Well, and and it's interesting, too, because we had a conversation at dinner and we were talking about what are the things that, you know, what what are the things you actually want to teach your kid? Because, you know, you teach your kid knots, you can teach your kid cast, you can teach your kid what to look for. But, like, in life, like, you realize that, like, maybe they'll like the fish, maybe they won't, maybe they'll fish five times a year, maybe they'll fish a couple times a week. Are are we talking character traits right now? Yeah, well, now we're just talking, now we're talking about, um, you know, like, growing up for you, you know, like, when you talk about what you need for military or what you need for success in life and you start thinking about some of the things that you learn from hunting and fishing, um, you know, you, you learn patience, you learn work ethic, you learn a lot of those types of things. And you just learn how, like, honestly, if you, you know, you're sitting in rain or you're dealing with a bunch of mosquitoes, whatever, right now, all of a sudden you're, you're in a better place to do anything in life because, you know, yeah, leapfrog, if you remember, that was like the OG tablet, you know, like that was the thing you could give your kids to shut up on the road trip, but you could tell yourself, wow, they're learning grammar really well, yeah. oh, which I, I got a lot of thoughts that I'll digress on that based off research. But, yeah. um, but anyway, with that, I think it's interesting because, you know, there's a way in which how we experience nature informs how we interact. And I think that's really an interesting conversation. And then you look at military strategy or you look at anything like that. And I'm obviously, if you're not qualified to talk about military strategy, I probably shouldn't even say the word. But, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of ways in which we learn things from nature. And, and I think you might say like tactics. Tactics. Yeah. Not like strategy. Tactics. tactics. Yeah. That sounds so. better. Um, so I love talking the how to create a a contributing citizen, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, like that piece. And I think a lot of it um, used to come from growing up in the outdoors um, back in like the 1920s and, and 30s of that time frame. Kids definitely were raised in the outdoors, and, and it continued on. But I feel like we have separated ourselves continually as technology has grown away from nature, and we're starting to lose a lot of the basic fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And... And to get back to, to character traits, um, I think we were talking earlier, I come from a performance-based society where well, the men around you have no problem telling you your, your character flaws. Mm-hmm. And if you don't fix those, then you're off, you're off the team. We want to work with good personalities. We don't want to work with just qualified guys who are dickheads. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be around that in austere environments. You know, I, I would rather work with somebody who is a genuine straight shooter you know who who laughs in in really shitty situations Mm -hmm. then than someone who's qualified and he's the best at this and the best at that but he's got a horrible personality i I don't want to be around that you Mm -hmm. know and so i look at it and i take that lesson and i apply it to like raising my kids i want my kids to be raised with kindness that that mainly comes from his their mom Mm -hmm. not so much me i try you know it's something i'm working on but kindness definitely comes from Lindsay. Um, loyalty, loyalty to one's family, loyalty to one's 
country, loyalty to one's brothers, uh, honor, respect, you know, all, all of those buzzwords, uh, discipline, patience, all of these things are learned a lot more uh, in depth and they are learned quicker in the outdoors, you know, if you stick around to, to mm-hmm. try to indirectly learn them. I don't think one pursues to learn that as a young kid, obviously. Yeah. Like if, like, let's, let's be real right now. If you're a kid, like teenager and you're hunting and fishing, you're there to catch fish or to kill deer. You yeah. Know? That's just, that's like very low level. It's just understanding more of like the gratification of like hunting down one's prey, you know, and completing the task more than looking at it from an outside approach. And it's like, man, look at all the patience that I look at all the discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sat in those woods for for an entire day getting sleeted on and I didn't move like an inch type of thing. Like nobody, no, no kid looks at it that way. Mm-hmm. But later on in life, obviously we become more mature. Um, we have, we have pursued game and we have pursued these fish for so long that we look at it now as like, man, like I have learned so much patience. You know, I appreciate the length of time that it took me to complete this task. It is that delayed gratification Mm -hmm. that makes everything so much better. All of that, if you learn early on, is applied to everyday life. You know, it's applied, obviously, where you work. It's applied to where I work. Mm -hmm. You know, patience is is a huge one. Discipline and sticking to what you believe in. Like, that's all things that we learn indirectly from hunting and fishing. Well, I'll make a connection that um, I listened to a podcast today that was uh, Tim Ferriss interviewed a guy who was one of the video producers for Anthony Bourdain and traveled around with him. And he, he said some kind of interesting stuff that had me reflective on my own life and something that I learned in the outdoors, which I've shot a, a, a handful of, of nice bucks in my life. But the mm-hmm. biggest buck I've ever shot, 143, was the gross score. It's nice. The, it's the only deer that is hanging in my house right now. Yeah. I don't even know where the other ones are or what's, what happened with them. I shot it in eighth grade on a trip to Tennessee the first morning of the trip. Oh, man. And way to set the standard. Yeah, way to set the standard. <laughs> and, I, and I've yet to, I've yet to see through my scope a, a deer that size. Oh, yeah. Um, just based off where I hunt, too. But um, a big part of that was one of the things that I learned, and I didn't realize I was learning it, but I kind of knew this deep down, was this this idea about opportunities and how opportunities flee. Mm-hmm. So you do a bunch of work, you sit in the rain, you sit in the cold, you sit in a stand, you sit stand on the bow of the boat, you go out fishing a bunch of times, and you're, you're chasing after this opportunity, but the reality is that the opportunity exists within a window. Yeah. And that window is that deer walks out, and now all of a sudden, all this time that you spent, all of this we'll use the word training. Mm-hmm. It's kind of intense for hunting and fishing, but we'll yeah. use it. Training, all this, stu- this preparation. Yeah, let's say preparation. <laughs> That's a better word for it. There you go. But you've done all this, and now here's your window. Here's your opportunity right now. You don't, you're not going to get a bunch of shots at that deer. You're not going to get a retake the test. The yeah. test isn't going to be graded in green ink instead of red ink because of how it makes you feel. And nature doesn't do all of that. Nature gives you little opportunities, and you either capitalize on that opportunity and do what you need to do, or you don't. And that's life whether that's an interview or whether that's and to me as i was listening to that that podcast he was talking about in his career how he had an opportunity where it was kind of funny actually where he was he was like an intern or something and a guy uh, one step above him went to a concert when he shouldn't have went to a concert and he took that opportunity freaking got that guy's job you know and he was like i had a window and i took it and i thought wow that's one of those things in fishing and hunting Mm mm-hmm 
maybe not so much hiking. Maybe if you're a really yeah. hardcore hiker, you could fill me in on this. But in fishing yeah. and hunting, here you are. You know, you finally get your shot on a permit. Yep. Opportunity, and you flub it. Right? You miss the opportunity. Like now you got to stand. Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I would. Um, and you've been standing on the bow of the boat collectively for however many hours. And I think that's a great life lesson, right? It could be more than hours for that old permit. It could be how many trips in years, (laughs) (laughs) lifetimes. Yeah, absolutely. No, but I mean, I think that's, that's an interesting thing that I, that I learned without knowing I learned it. And I think that's kind of the, the beauty of raising kids in the outdoors is you're teaching them all these lessons and they don't even understand them. No, they don't. And as long as you understand it and, and that's, that's what you, uh, are set out to do i think it does good things uh one of my one of my big uh lessons learned with taking kids fishing um as you know i've taken my kids fishing since and hunting yeah twice (laughs) yeah twice a day um you can burn them out and um i stopped actually taking my kids fish specifically my six-year-old grayton i stopped taking him fishing probably about like six months ago i will Mm -hmm. only take him out now uh, if he asks, yeah. because I could already tell um, that he was not getting burnt out, but he was losing kind of like uh, just focus in it. You know, I, y- you know me. I if we're gonna do something, we're gonna do it 110 yeah, percent, and you c- you can't do that to a six year old. But for you, how much of that? It's interesting because like we talked about that some. You made this this shift where you were you were really adamant in trying to to take him out, and he was probably in my opinion, the best caster at two or three years old. It probably was. In I the, mean, maybe in the world. Like if there were a sniper with if, a spinning rod. If there was a VPK casting championship, <laughs> he might have won it. But this is interesting because, like, as a friend, I've watched you kind of go through this this whole deal where you, you experienced your own form of burnout with what you did in the military. Yeah. And now you're thinking through that with your kid in the outdoors to me that's interesting are are those two things tied for you absolutely um you know i all of these life lessons that i've that i've learned in the past like over a decade now i take those and i apply them to my everyday life and i i see how my personality again i'm a hard charger you know if i'm going to do i'm going to send it i'm going to send it hard Mm -hmm. 110 percent. if you're going to do it do it right type of get my my words tongue tied here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right. Mm. And I can sometimes press that upon other people around me. Mm. Um, and, and then that's not the right answer. You know, I got to take a step back and then I look back and I realize I'm like, Oh man, that work is bleeding into my personal life. Like my kid is not a team guy. Mm-hmm. I can't, ex- I can't, my expectation management's flawed at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my kid is not a professional angler. He, he's not a fishing guide. He's just trying, he's a kid trying to have fun Mm -hmm. and that's where we need to get back to. And that's where we have gotten back to. Um, we do a lot less fishing and more sandbar, more like kind of just immersion in nature, um, Mm -hmm. than putting that, that little spinning rod in his hand. Um, and I have already seen an increase in, Hey dad, like when are we going fishing again? And I go, Oh, I mean, do you want to go? And his immediate answer is yeah. Only if we go for snappers. And I'm like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> okay, I get yeah. it. You, you can't put a, a six-year-old up there who doesn't wear polarized glasses and go out there and catch bonefish, tarpon, and permit. Yeah. Even though he's done it, not the permit, but bonefish and tarpon, but he doesn't have fun doing that. Yeah. He, he doesn't like big fish. 
He doesn't like these 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 sports fish. He wants snappers. He wants to eat these yeah. snappers. That's the only thing he wants to do. And you know what? Roger that, Grayton. Like if that's what you want to do, that's what we're going to go do because you're having fun. And if you're having fun, I'm having fun. Yeah. You know. So. And, and you know what? That's something my dad did really well. And there's definitely times where I think to myself, man, I wish that I would have been forced to fly cast more. I wish I would have been. I, I wish I would have. Now that I'm trying to learn turkey hunting. I wish that my dad, my dad was an avid turkey hunter when I was yeah. a little kid. I mean, gone for weeks sometimes on these really elaborate, awesome turkey hunts. That yeah. I look now and I'm like, man, like three weeks traveling the East Coast killing turkeys is awesome. And part of me thinks, wow, I'd be a better turkey hunter. I'd be a better caster. But mm-hmm. you know what the reality is? If I actually say, okay, stop saying, oh, I'd be this great. Yep. The reality is I might not even love it at no. all. No, no, that is, you are 100% I would just be right. another burnt out kid. That's right. Kid. I see a lot of parents doing that stuff too. Yeah. You and know? you can always tell yourself, oh man, I would have really made that uh, shot, yeah. right? Yeah. If my dad would have. But in reality, <laughs> it's like, no, I probably would hate this. And I wouldn't yeah. even have something like this. Um just to tie it in a little bit further, just because as you kind of work through kind of some of your own stuff and, and how important guiding has been to you and fishing has been to you this side of on the, let's call it the back end of your military career. I don't know what you want to call it. It is. Um, so now you're going into a season of life where now you have tried to orient yourself, not just towards being able to be a fishing guide yourself, but being able to try to help other people with military backgrounds into getting into the outdoors from a business sense. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. What you're doing? So this will be actually like the first time I've ever even talked about it to, to outside of my business partner. Um, I started another guide service um, with my friend, Captain Quinn Hollinsworth over in Freeport, Florida. It's in the panhandle. Um, Quinn also comes from a special operations background. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is from Ranger Regiment. Um, um, kind of similar to, to SF guy. We kind we share some overlapping job sets. Um, but bottom line is we have the same personality, mm-hmm. same selflessness, same, like if you're going to do it, do it 110%. And we both also identified that there were problems within our community. And we also ironically both filled that, that void, that identity crisis with, with fishing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and guiding. So with that being said, we came together um and uh we started a guide service called Brave Waters Guide Service and it has three functions and its main function is obviously booking booking trips mm-hmm. um its second function is we've developed a professional development model for transitioning service members guys that are getting out of service and they don't necessarily want to do that white collar job right now there's a trend of big fortune 500 companies hiring uh special operation operators to to manage these big companies at a at a managing equipment, uh, money and, uh, employees at that level. Which is like, if you walk through Barnes and Noble, half the (laughs) leadership books are written by former military. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I would take those books with a grain of salt, honestly. But, um, so yeah, that, uh, that is what we identified. This is the solution that we've put forth. And the third function of Brave Waters Guide Service is to give them an opportunity to work for Brave Water. So the only guides that are going to be in Brave Waters are um, credible people that we, Quinn and I, have vetted um, to, to, to be guides for Brave Waters. So it's only going to be, uh, it's going to be a veteran-owned business, obviously, and mm-hmm. it's, we are only going to hire 
people that aspire to be fishing guides that are prior service or that have retired out. Again, uh, it's not just going to be any veteran. Like you, you're going to have to meet um, X, Y, and Z of whatever Quinn and I stipulate. And that's really comes down to personality. We, do, we don't want dickheads working for us. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want egos on the docks. We don't want egos in the boats. You know, we are done with egos. There's a big enough ego already in special operations. We don't need that to be carrying over into the, the fishing industry, you know, because as you know, there already is a big ego in the fishing industry. I've heard. And we're not trying to co- contribute to that. So with that being said, um, credible people who care about our nation's natural resources. That's mm-hmm. the other part of this. I truly believe that there is no no more selfless, excuse me, there is no, how would you even put this? It's very hard to top a service member when it comes to selfless service, yeah. you know? And if they care as much for this country um, and to go to war and to possibly put their life on the line for it, they're going to do the same thing in any capacity, I, I believe, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I truly care about our nation's resources and I try to do my part at my level um, and I try to influence others at my level, the person on my left and right, to, hey, like, perfect example, picking up trash, not just on the water, but just picking up trash in general, you know, mm-hmm. if you see, if you see some shit laying on the ground, pick it up. It doesn't have to be at, at the boat ramp or around the water, you know. So, influencing others, mentor development. Um, I think these guys would do very well doing that because not all of us see ourselves working a nine to five at a mm-hmm. Fortune 500 company. Some of us see ourselves working outside still, you know, and continuing on to to fill that 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 hunt that void with. Mm-hmm with uh, mentoring future anglers the right way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that For you, as resonates, you, but. Yeah, I mean, to me, like I, I have several friends who have served in the military who are now working in the outdoor industry in some capacity. And I know for them, yeah, they're just, you know, going from working in the military to can you get me the spreadsheet is just, it's a big jump. Yeah, you know. I mean, I've definitely had to do that that line of work. I mean, a lot of people think that like being in soft is just guns and blowing shit up, and yeah, that's like one percent of the job. There's a lot of paperwork and extra shit that you have to do <laughs> to book ranges to to you've got to put in these these GPC requests just to allocate funding to be able to purchase equipment. Yeah. Like, there's a lot more involved into it, and I, I don't feel like doing that twenty four seven. You know, as long as I still get to go do a little bit of like the, the the action stuff, if you will, like cool. Mm-hmm. But in civilian world, like you're not doing that anymore. You're just on that Excel spreadsheet, crunching numbers all day. Yeah. And I, the other thing is, you're not surrounded by some of the best personalities either. That's another thing that you forfeit. You know, you kind of in soft, you've you've cornered yourself amongst like-minded personalities mm-hmm. and quality people it's a gamble in the civilian world you don't you don't have a selection process you know so a lot of guys kind of forfeit that um anyways we're not going to forfeit that at brave waters guide service yeah. because we're going to hand select the people we want to be around and, and for you like as you you're kind of at the beginning of this which you know we we just celebrated memorial day a few week or a few days ago and um you know for you as you think about trying to help other people out who have had similar experiences to you what is like success look like for for brave water 
Uh, success for Brave Waters is to obviously um, to be able to provide a living for my family. Number one, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like my family is first and foremost. Number two, getting those people that aspire in the right position and mentoring and developing them, you know, so mm-hmm. giving them a future job to fill that that identity and to, to put them on their two feet and survive in, in the civilian world. Um, like, like I said before, that that's what success looks like for brave waters. And obviously to build that beyond would Mm -hmm. be like the macro of, of that whole thing. But Quinn and I, uh, we, we've talked about it a lot. We have, we obviously have our, our hundred yard or hundred meter targets and we Mm -hmm. have our, our targets will be on that thousand meter targets, but um, micro, it's just getting ourselves up and running. Yeah. And macro, it's force multiplying and getting the right people in the right positions and and seeing them do the same thing. You know what I mean? But um, uh, I've been pretty successful at it. Quinn, uh, he owns uh, the Ranger Angler um, Fishing Charters. He's pretty successful at what he does. Um, I think it will transpire into something pretty good and it um it also it really helps um it helps my nonprofit as well and actually my nonprofit helps brave waters as far as um experience Mm -hmm. with taking guys out and kind of introducing these team guys into fishing because like i said before i always thought that every green beret and every seal and marsoc operator they all hunt fish and it's far it's the farthest thing from the truth mm-hmm. um so one of my other endeavors was valiant traditions uh i'm the ceo of that nonprofit, and uh again i do what i can manage i've been running this nonprofit um with two other guys uh who are also army veterans and basically what what we do is we find guys who are kind of having that same identity crisis, mm-hmm. but they want to stay in the military, you know, and we give them a hobby, like IE fishing. So since I'm down here at the combat dive school, it's too easy for me to be able to take some of these other instructors out on the flats and go catch tarpon, bone fish and permit. Um, I do that on my own time, on my own dollar. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen a lot of good. The whole point is, so I have some experience doing that through Valiant Traditions, uh, and I know it will work for Brave Waters Guide Service. Um, mm-hmm. But Brave Brave Waters is for more of guys that are getting out. Mm-hmm. Valiant Traditions, um, I I hand pick and hand select those team guys uh, because um, I'm not the nonprofit that just takes you out because you're a veteran. Mm-hmm. There are more deserving people in certain capacities uh more than others and i feel like a lot of military non nonprofits are kind of flawed in the aspect of just taking anybody um there's only a certain amount of guys that have actually experienced true combat um and i'm not talking down on any other veteran who has not been to war that that's a total gamble right time right place you either went and because your company was going or your brigade or whatever the hell you served in 
um, you were there at the right time, right place, and you got to go, you know, and you came back with some problems, like, dude, I got it, you know, but there are some people that experience some pretty traumatic mm-hmm. shit, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be combat, you know, it could, it could be other things, you know, and I stick to my community, the soft community, just because that's the, the level that I can affect that at, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And again, I do what I can. Uh, I'm leaving the Keys uh, sometime around this winter, actually, to get back up to the Panhandle because there is a much larger presence of soft there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Valiant Traditions will do a lot better there as well. I'll be able to reach a lot more people um, and do a lot better trips. I have a better uh, network up there as well with other uh, fishing guides and companies that mm-hmm. want to get deserving guys out there. So that's kind of how Valiant Traditions plugs into Brave Waters as far as experience goes and how Brave Waters will proliferate uh, on the macro level, I believe. So, Yeah, and I'm excited just to follow it as someone, one, who lives in the Panhandle. Oh, absolutely. Close. I love the Panhandle. Uh, but also as a friend, I think it's, to me, like one of the reasons I want to do this interview just after knowing you for a few years now is just to, to hear this perspective. That's more than just, Hey, I want to do a guide business because I love fishing and I want to take people out and I want to give them the best experience and I want to work hard and I want to be super technical and yeah. et cetera, et cetera is like, Hey, I actually have this former life experience that has shaped the way that I'm thinking about my business. And so I appreciate it. I'm excited to follow it. If, if you're good, I want to do some rapid fire cause I have a lot of, rapid fire questions Send for it. you. Um, my, my first one is, so for you, what do you feel like is the biggest difference in your life that has come from, as an angler, that has come from your background in military? Like how, how has that, what, what's been the biggest thing for you that's changed the way that you've approached fishing? Uh, from a military standpoint? Oh, I'll tell you what. Uh, I take... I appreciate getting out on the water a hell of a lot more after have serving or after I have served um, in the capacity that I have. Uh, that is one thing. Hell, I just appreciate being here in the United States after some of those deployments. Um, I've I've lived some of the lowest of low in some of these third world countries, mm. and the first thing that I'm doing in my free time is looking at videos of hunting and fishing. And as soon as I get back, I am so relieved and I am just so content, and I appreciate it a hell of a lot more. So that's definitely something that the military has done for me in terms of angling. It's made it's made me appreciate having the ability to actually go fishing mm-hmm. and not have to worry about anything. Like there's some countries where you can't go fishing, you know, or you've got to worry about X, Y, and Z when you do go fishing. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about that here for the most part, at least. I mean, I'm sure there's some pretty rough places, but... You know, like, I don't, I, I don't want to be like, in, ramps yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be like a, like Miami in the middle of the night, like canal fishing. But <laughs> anyways, um, it's made me appreciate, uh, being able to do that so freely, you yeah. know what I mean? So, because I mean, I don't, I don't get to obviously do that in a lot of these other places. So I'm curious too, but like obviously as a kid, you talked about your dad would work really hard and you had the opportunity to come down here and fish in the Keys. Mm -hmm. But as somebody who has spent a few years in the Keys fishing, how do you feel like that shaped the way that you approach the water? Oh man, I have a totally different, uh, how, how 
even say this. How about this? So majority of my like angling back technical angling background came from tournament bass fishing, like how to take a big chunk of water, dissect it, you know, and apply that to new types of water. So I carried that down here, but now after fishing this, um, what has changed is probably more tidal understanding more of like the tides and how that influences where these fish are going mm -hmm. and not even tides more of like water level like mm -hmm. looking and being like all right like we're in the right depth of water right now as tides come in we've got enough water there's going to be like permit or bonefish here mm -hmm. type of thing so i've definitely gotten a lot more uh inquisitive and paid more attention to like water level and tidal based fishing where i would never have done that as a kid yeah you know as, as a kid i was just walking around the flats wade fishing like all right, there you go. Hope it happens. Yeah. Hope it happens. Uh, I don't have a cell phone because uh, <laughs> cell phones didn't exist for me back then, so I mm. can't get on my title app and look to see, and I just don't know what I don't know. So I'm just going to yeah. walk out here and, oh, look at that. There's a school bonefish, you know. But, no, now, obviously, since, since technology is at our fingertips too, but, yeah, that's what I would say has changed the most as far as angling is concerned. Yeah. But. So as an instructor – Mm -hmm. This is really interesting to me. So as an instructor, you're somebody who thinks through things like there's a scope and sequence. So you need to learn this thing before you learn this thing before you learn this. Crawl, thing. walk, run. Crawl, walk, run. There you go. So for when you're thinking about fishing and trying to teach people who don't have a lot of experience in the outdoors, like what, what do you feel like is the proper approach to the crawl, walk, run of fishing? Uh, one, expectation management what are you trying to do and like the time frame that you're doing it in you know i'm i'm looking at this from like kind kind of like a client guide perspective like if i get someone coming down here and they're like hey i want to do a half day can you teach me how to double haul and then go out and catch a bonefish i'm like ah oh. like that's that's kind of like flawed expectation management mm -hmm. it's like maybe a full day when the when the wind is like non-existent you know what i mean but is that kind of like where you're coming from with that or, or just someone brand new starting I'm out? I'm also and thinking like, so as you instruct people on marine combat, but when you're thinking about instructing people on fishing, like what are the big blocks that you're trying to make sure that they understand? Like you talked about tides, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah, you're well, not going to be successful and you know yeah. tides. Like you're not going to be a successful marine combat if you don't know how to work a scuba tank. Yeah. So I guess it just really depends on what their what the angler's like current knowledge is. If it's someone brand new, uh, one I tried to tell people uh, that fishing is all about the journey, the people you meet, and the the fish are like the added bonus, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of attracted the, the the kind of people that I that I guide. Thank God, you know. I, I, again, I'd I'd rather much rather be around great personalities than just someone that wants to get out there and catch fish you know mm -hmm. um obviously we, like we have to catch fish um yeah but, so again i'm still gonna stick to like the expectation management kind of like explaining to them like hey like here's like kind of like what we're gonna do don't expect to go out there and just crush it right off the bat let's first learn on like if i were to do it this is what i do how about this casting down here in the Florida Keys, you have a lot of moving water on these flats. Uh, the tides are can sometimes be very quick and suck a lot of water in and out. So that boat's moving, fish are moving. There's a lot of like moving pieces. I'm sure you've heard the the analogy. You're on a timer. The minute the guide sees the fish, you're on like that countdown type mm -hmm. of thing. With that being said, 
accuracy and speed are the most important things I believe that an angler needs. He needs to be able to get that bait into the front of the fish. So one, it's on me to call that distance and direction. That's actually the same thing in a firefight, distance and direction. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Same thing in fishing, distance and direction. Hey, check it out. You got a fish moving from right to left, 11 o'clock, 20 feet. You know what I mean? Um, So it's up to that angler to get that, that quick, accurate cast out. Um, so that we're, one, we're going to work on that. Two, um, if we got a fly rod in our hand, obviously it's going to be a lot more difficult depending on their experience. But mm-hmm. things like, hey, again, let's try and get the fly in the water as quick as we can. Let's let's tone down the number of false casts. We don't necessarily need that 80-foot or 50-foot cast. Let's just yeah. get the fly in the water, you know what I mean? So it's kind of accuracy and speed for that, for the anglers. Um, the other thing... Uh, you could look at it, the aspect of like fighting fish, you know, like, Hey, don't reel against the drag, you know, let, let, let that fish burn out on that drag for a little bit. Okay. Now let's pump back, reel down to the fish, pump back, reel down to the fish. Um, I can get, I have found myself, I get a little frustrated. I will never show you that I get frustrated, but I get frustrated with, mm. with fly anglers sometimes just because every guide has encountered this. They, they tell you this oh, I've been fly fishing since X number of years. I've been around the world, done all this, X, Y, and Z. It really equates to I've been fly fishing one week out of the entire year, and now I come down here to the Florida Keys, and the wind's blowing 15 knots, and I can't get a 20-foot cast out. I can get very frustrated with that, like any other guide would. Um, I try not to show that because I kind of feel like (sighs) I've only got three hours to meet you if you're not a reoccurring client. I don't want to start getting in your ass and treating you like a team guy and you'd be like, yo, this is the most horrible experience ever, you know? So I kind of look at it like that. Uh, I don't want to offend anybody, even though some people probably need to be offended, (laughs) you know, like if I know you and you're, you're comfortable with me, I'm going to get in you. I'm going to get in your ass. I'm going to be like, Hey dude, you really fucked that up. I've seen people with broken arms cast better than that. Come on, dude. Yeah. You know, like Stevie wonder would have seen that fish by now, dude, you know, but that's only if I know you. So that's the other thing I'm getting at. Um, I'm going to try and keep like a pretty good chill environment in that boat. If you're brand new to fishing, yeah. I don't want to dishearten you and degrade you, you know? So try to keep the vibe kind of chill, you know, not so serious. It's a brand new guy, brand new angler. Um, that's another one. And then when you catch the fish, obviously like fish handling, that's a big one. You know, like I want to be able to catch that fish over and over. So let's teach these, ang- these anglers like, Hey, you know, it's a bonefish. Like keep it in the water, dude. You know, if you want to take a picture of it, I'm going to get out of the boat. This is something that I don't really see that often that I try to do. I'll get out of the boat for you, you know. Keep that fish out of my boat. I'll get in the water. You keep the fish in the water. Hold it up. I'll take the picture from outside of the water. Mm -hmm. I don't want that fish anywhere in the inside of my boat. People drop bonefish and tarpon, small tarpon, all the fucking time in the boat, you know. You, You don't want to beat up the natural resource. So I try to advise and teach anglers. And, and, it, and that's hard, especially when guys catch their first fish. They want to get their grubby little fingers all over the thing. I'm like, ah, yeah. dude, let's not do that. Come on, man. You know, like, hold it up. I'll take a picture. Anyway, so fish handling, that's a big one. And then uh, kind of like enjoy your environment that you're around. This is a lifetime of a fishery down here. Mm. I appreciate it so much. And I hope to God that my kids are able to appreciate it. Uh, that's actually one of the things. That's one of the reasons why we're moving as well. I don't want my kids growing up taking advantage of this place and not appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like, I know everyone experiences, whether it's a job or where you've lived for so long. Some, some people just, they don't appreciate it like they did, you know? And 
I, I want this place to be like a like a magical place for my kids, just like it is me. You know, I, I still think it's it's great. Um, but again, I don't want to burn my kids out in it, so we're gonna mm-hmm. kind of relocate. Anyways, back to the angler. Take appreciation for your environment. Take appreciation mm-hmm. for the experience. You know, and uh, understand that this is a not everyone gets to come out here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, show 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 some gratitude. You know, towards that dude pushing that boat or spending the time out there unless he's a dickhead and he's yelling at you then yeah yeah i don't want to go fishing with you like if you're gonna be yelling at me i don't want to fish with you yeah i think i think that's good um and i think it's it's something that you know if you're raising kids or you're you're guiding and you're raising anglers as many mentor and development i think it's good just to sit back and think about what do i really want people to learn and my, my last question is, you know, we're, we're sitting here a couple of days after Memorial Day and you have all this talk about how to honor people who have given the greatest sacrifice. Oh, I love this question. My question to you is as somebody who, you know, you've served alongside people who have literally given their lives to allowing us to have the freedoms we have here yeah. in America. What does it look like for us to, to honor them well? I'll tell you what, man. I lost one of my best friends in 2012 in Afghanistan. Um I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to do everything that Justin wanted to do in his military career, in his life. Him, him and I used to go skateboarding and fishing all the time. And uh, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to keep skateboarding and fishing in his memory. I'm not going to sit here and, like, yeah, yeah, we all mourn and stuff like that. But you know what those dudes w- would want you to do? They'd want you to go out there and live your life. You know what I mean? They'd want you to go out there, be with your family. They'd want you to appreciate what you got. They'd want you to go party, drink beer, barbecue. They would want you to go have fun. And that's what I do. I literally live my life every single day doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly do. Um, I'm sure you've, you've probably noticed my, my silver KIA bracelet. Uh, that's that's for Justin. That's Memorial Day is kind of every day for some people. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be cliche. I know some to some other team guys, it probably sounds cliche. Um, but it, it really is every day. You're reminded, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's healthy because you you remember to to be respectful and take gratitude and to appreciate what we got here. Mm-hmm. You know, and I try to tell people that like. Like Memorial Day, that's not about like. <laughs> I don't mean to shit on anybody that does CrossFit, but like the whole Murph thing, it's like, hey, I'm all about going and doing Murph, but let's not post our PRs and talk about how we like crushed it this time. Murph was supposed to be about recognizing like the people that died. Let's let's focus on the people who we need to memorialize, and let's go have a good time in their honor. You know, let, let's not make it about us. I also see a lot of veterans out there making it about themselves. Let's not do that. Let's mm. keep it about the people that paid the ultimate sacrifice for the man on their left and right, you know, because that's ultimately what they did. Mm. You know, we don't, we, I don't want to get political or want to get too, like, philosophical with it, but the NCO Corps, the, the guys outside of the officer branch, and even the officer branch, some of them, uh, we do it for the man on our left and right. We don't necessarily do it for... I don't think about when I'm in war, I don't think about your rights or like your freedoms and stuff. I'm thinking about the person who is with me at that moment. Like if when we are in the middle of that shit, it's all right. It's you and I 
and the rest of us, in, in our case, it would be like 12 of us and 30 commandos. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I'm worried about at that time are the people on our left and right. And those people that paid that ultimate sacrifice, those are the only people that we need to be uh, rec- recognizing and memorializing. Mm-hmm. So keep it at that. You know, that's what I try to tell people. It's mm-hmm. about them and it's about us living our best life in to honor them. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Um, sometimes people kind of find that hard to, to grasp. No, no. Which, I, which I understand because not, not everyone knows somebody that has died or, or knows people in the service, you know, but if you're going to memorialize, do it by living your best life. Yeah. You know? No, I think that's, I think that's a helpful reminder to all of us. And obviously there's a difference between knowing somebody and having been there. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, but having, having literally, you know, been in the situation where it was several feet from being you or several seconds from being you. But I I think that's a helpful reminder just even as we come off of, come off of Memorial Day and, and we think about, you know, we just take a pause and we think about what it means to live in this country and to have these freedoms and we were talking about to be able to have different opinions and the fact that we live in a country where you can take your opinion as whatever career you have. Yeah. That's one of those like, and you can post it for the world to see uh, and you can go to sleep at night (laughs) knowing that, you know, I could go online and say all sorts of crazy things and go to sleep tonight and not wonder, will I wake up tomorrow? That's America. Yeah, it really is. Some of our freedoms I feel really bring out the, ignorance and us yeah you know god you make me want to go on instagram right now and start trolling but (laughs) (laughs) and you're a great troll account but i think i think that's just the crazy thing is like you know we we just take those things for granted so much that we live in a country where we can have all these different opinions and all these different views and 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 be able to have whatever the the heck view you have however wrong i may think it is yeah it's crazy isn't it and and you should be able to wake up tomorrow Yep, Welcome. that is the great thing about America, you yeah. know. So, anyways, but I I appreciate the time, man. I've had a great time just getting a, a chance to sit down with you and and have this podcast. It's been a long time coming, absolutely. And uh, excited to get on the water tomorrow and have some fun Ooh, and man. goof off. I hey envy you. I'm gonna go scuff up some students tomorrow. Is what I'm gonna do. And <laughs> hopefully, this little storm we got coming doesn't crush us because I would love to get out in the water as well. Awesome, but, man. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate the time. Absolutely, Hunter. We got a lot more to talk about down the road. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to The Captain's Collective. Please help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast. We hope that you enjoy. This is The Captain's Collective. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.